Our passage today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. I'll read verses 1 through 8 in just a moment. In thinking about our topic today, I titled this message Perspective. Perspective has to do with how you see things, a particular vantage point. And I think here at the beginning of the year, it's a good time to look at our vantage point, our particular perspective as believers in Jesus, looking on a new year that's yet to come. Every person has a certain way of looking at life and the world. Many people wear glasses to help focus, to see a little more clearly. And the sun is beaming down very brightly. You're driving, you have to have sunglasses. Lots of times whenever I'm in North Carolina and I'm driving and I don't have my sunglasses, my mother always says, son, where are your sunglasses? I know of persons who have had LASIK surgery to correct their vision so that they'll be able to see clearly. I know that there are some among us who don't have the ability to see as we see, and yet even they have the ability to perceive reality. They see the world through the eyes of the soul. And whether you're a person with sight or no sight, every single person sees the world through the lens of their soul. You interpret life through the heart. My concern today pertains to your perspective on life, your perspective on life. What is it that guides your way of seeing and understanding what this world is all about? And it really doesn't matter to me today that you are a Christian in my preaching this to you today. It is a message we all need to hear, including Terrence Little. Our passage today provides us with much needed help. Hear now God's word from Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1 through verse 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who, who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, says Isaiah, I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your, sin, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord 
saying, Whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Our Father, we ask that you would give light, that we would see according to your light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are several observations, eight in particular. I'm going to go through them fast. <laughs> we have a lot to do today. There are eight observations I want you to see out of this text today, and then there are two words of application that I wanted to give you. The first observation is we see the death of a king. It is the year that Uzziah died. Uzziah was a great king. The report that the scripture says of him was that he walked, <clears throat> excuse me, the report of him was that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Uzziah began to reign at the age of 16 years old, and he reigned over Judah and Jerusalem for 52 years. 52 years. His name is also Azariah. He's called Uzziah and Azariah as well. And you read of him in 2 Kings 15 and 2 Chronicles 26. He was a man with great, powerful military might. And yet, later in his life, he made a tragic mistake. He allowed himself to become filled with pride, and he entered the temple one day to offer incense, which he was never to do. Only the priests, the son of Aaron, were to do that. Now, the priests were good men at this time, and they opposed him. In, and, and, and Uzziah gets angry at them, and in the heat of his anger, God strikes him with leprosy. The priests see it. And he leaves the temple. He has to go live out in a place for lepers. Began well, then God humbled him, his pride, therefore being his destruction. Well, Isaiah is in the temple, and Uzziah is dead. Leading to the second observation, Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. Number two, he has a vision of the Lord. With the death of this particular great king, Isaiah is given a vision of the Lord. He saw the Lord. He says that I saw the Lord. He's seated on a throne. Royalty, supreme royalty, the, the highest and most noble ruler of all time. He sees in a vision in the temple king who rules forever, he is privy, given privy to see, just as this great earthly king has died. Well, Isaiah reports he saw the Lord, and who is the Lord in this particular instance? Who is the Lord? And you'll notice the spelling here. When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the covenant name of God. That's not the name you see here. You see capital L, then lowercase o-r-d. When you see that, you need to know that is the word Adonai. It is a title. It means master, lord, king, ruler, the authority. Isaiah is given 
a vision of the pre-incarnate, all that means is Jesus before he becomes a man. He sees him seated on a throne, the symbol of authority. John Frame, the, a professor I had back in Charlotte, he says, in the Old Testament, God is the Lord, and in the New Testament, Jesus is Lord. Well, Isaiah sees the pre-incarnate king sitting on the throne. Not just any king, mind you. He says he's high, he's lifted up. The train of his robe, it, it fills the whole temple, adding further emphasis on this great and mighty king. He receives a vision of God the king. It's a vision teaching that there is one true king who rules perpetually even after our earthly kings die. And this is something to keep in mind. In my lifetime, I was thinking about this the other day, I think I've seen like six presidents come and go in my little bit of lifetime, and some of you have seen many, many more. But the point is rulers come and rulers go. God wants Isaiah to know one king rules and oversees the coming and going of human rulers. One king has a plan for all of history, and this is the Lord. Interesting, the chapters preceding chapter 6 reveal God's declaration of judgment that's coming to Judah. They will go into exile. But here in chapter 6, we see the appearance of the king of all kings, the Lord over all. He's commissioning Isaiah for the ministry of the prophet, the man who is commissioned to speak God's word to the people. Later chapters, we will see Isaiah. One of the things Isaiah is going to do in a little bit is he's going to pronounce judgment on Judah, that it's coming. But later he will tell about the coming of the greatest king who is called the servant of the Lord. The third observation I want you to see this morning is that there's a ministry of the seraphim, the ministry of the seraphim. The Lord is seated on his throne, Isaiah says, in the temple, and above him stands the seraphim. Well, what are the seraphim? No, they're, they're angels. I can remember when I studied this the first time back in college, and I studied what the word seraph means. You know what it means? It means flaming ones. They are on fire. Angels, beautiful creatures, pure spirit beings, standing in the very presence of God Almighty. Beings who, if we're, one were in here right now, we probably all would get down up under the benches to hide from their glory, their radiance, their brilliance. And what does Isaiah tell us that they do in the presence of God Almighty? They got six wings. Two of them they've got to use to cover their face. They stand in the presence of God Almighty. I've said this story before. I had a friend a long time ago. I had a friend in Ohio. I was there one summer in the college ministry and a very devoted young man. And, and I wanted him to understand the holiness of God a little bit. Not that I have, you know, the, the market on it by any means. But I wanted him to understand it a little better. <clears throat> His name's Angelo. We were talking and I said, Angelo, what, what do you think would happen if you stood in the presence of God Almighty right now? He said, oh, 
I would bow down, I would worship, I would praise him. And in the midst of this, I said, you would be obliterated. <laughs> God is holy. He is pure. And the only reason we can stand in his presence and not be obliterated is because of his grace and mercy to us in Jesus. Well, these flaming ones, the seraphim, they stand in God's presence. They serve him. They worship him in they worship the Lord on the throne. And each one of them proclaims something that I heard R.C. Sproul say once. It's called the Trisagion, the thrice holy declaration of God. I do hope you take time to read the article on the front page of Atonement Life about R.C. He passed away uh, December the 14th. He, this particular message was a message he preached on numerous occasions. He was a man consumed with the holiness of God. Well, the, the, the seraphim, these angels, they pronounce God holy, holy, holy. Isaiah sees them above the throne, and they're calling out to one another, declaring he's holy. He is holy. He is holy. God is sacred. God is pure. He's the standard of purity. He's the standard of perfection. God is the only true unique being in existence. God can never corrode. God can never sin. God can never be evil. God can never be dirty. He can never be deceptive. Everything about God is holy. All of his attributes, all of his perfections. God is set apart. He is distinct from the creation. He is the creator of all that is. The seraphim announce God's holiness to each other. They lift up the name of the covenant Lord unashamedly, proudly. This is why they exist. They speak of his glory filling the earth. And you know what glory is in the Bible? C.S. Lewis, in a little booklet called The Weight of Glory, he has an essay in there called The Weight of Glory. Glory is a weightiness. It's a heaviness. When you're in the presence of God, when God is present. You feel the weight of his holiness. It is his splendor, his radiance, the brilliance of God and his godness radiating throughout his universe. All of creation points to God's glory. Psalm 19 verses 1 and 2 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims God's handiwork. Day unto day, the King James says, pours forth speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. It's telling us something about the Lord. That's the other night. I mean, it was frigidly cold. I, I was getting out of the truck, ready to go into the house, and I just looked up, crystal clear, stars, almost infinitely massive. I said to a young man in South Africa one time, I said, you, you really believe in God? He didn't say he was a Christian. I said, you really believe in God? He said, yeah. He said, who made all of this? I thought, oh, my goodness. Day unto day pours forth speech. The seraphim, they're not ashamed to speak about God. They speak in honor of God. They say what is absolutely true of the Lord. Their words thunder throughout the temple. Could you imagine being there? Fourth observation, the house responds. The house responds. 
the house or the temple, it moves because of this traumatic event. The very foundations of the temple shake at the voice of the seraphim. Smoke fills the temple. God in his great holiness is present. The temple shakes at the weight of God's glory. This leads to the fifth observation, the response of Isaiah. It's right there. What is his response? Confession. Confession. Here is a man who knows who he is because God has appeared before him. He confesses his condition. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. He confesses his sinfulness before the Lord. He has to. There's nothing else that he can do. He can't help it. The tale of his impurity, his imperfect and impure heart to the Lord. God sees it. Isaiah knows his condition because he sees the king, the Lord of hosts, in the presence of God, just like Isaiah, you know exactly, as I do as well, you know exactly who God is and who you are. We know that God is God and we are not. We know that God is holy, he's pure, he's righteous. He's never incapable of making a mistake or an error. He's perfect and we're not. Isaiah shouts, I, I, I'm unclean, I'm dirty, I'm, I'm impure. The, the darkness of my heart and soul has been uncovered. The Lord knows all about me. I, I cannot hide from him. He says, my countrymen, they're unclean too. They don't say holy things. I live among them. We're, we're all around each other. We are in a terrible condition sin and guilt and shame, leading to the sixth observation, the giving of atonement, the giving of atonement. A seraph, one of the flaming angels, takes a live coal, burning, seething, hot. You ever touched a hot stove? <laughs> I've done that before. It hurts. But imagine one of these flaming beings, they take a live coal from the very fire with, with tongs. And they go over and they touch his lips. One of the most sensitive places on your body. Can you imagine that? Burning, blistering, scorched. And the seraph says, Isaiah, your guilt has been removed. Your sin has been atoned for. It's a reminder that in the sight of God, all people are guilty of rebellion. Of hearts that love darkness rather than light. That's the spiritual condition of every single human being in the world apart from Christ. All are guilty of disobeying God's perfect instructions. And that's all of us. To sin. I think it's always good to remember the definition of sin. To sin is missing the mark, the standard of God's glory. He demands perfection. We can't give it. You're guilty and I'm guilty, just like Isaiah. The Lord yet makes provision to remove Isaiah's guilt, to atone for his sin. The Lord has a plan for Isaiah. He's got something in mind for him. He's preparing him for something, leading to the seventh observation, <clears throat> a call of the Lord. The mighty Lord of Lords, seated upon his throne, he asks a question. 
knowing what the answer is going to be, of course, but he's working on Isaiah. Whom shall I send? Who's going to go for us? The Lord has a task to be done. He seeks one to go on his behalf with a, miss- with a mission and with a message. The Lord here in Isaiah 6, he has saved Isaiah. He's forgiven him of his sin. And now he calls him to be God's prophet to God's people, to Judah, leading to the eighth observation, the surrender of Isaiah. Isaiah's perspective has been changed. His perspective has been changed. I meant to ask this a little earlier, but it's all right, I forgot. Have you ever experienced the overwhelming presence of the Lord? I don't mean have you seen a vision of God or Christ, though in the Muslim world, God is indeed doing that and has been doing that for a number of years now. But I mean, have you ever felt the weight of the reality and the presence of God through his word and his spirit such that you are undone, that you know what your heart is all about? And you see that you can't run or hide from God. When that happens, and God reveals God to you, life is different. You see things differently. You understand what the world is about <clears throat> in a different manner. Here, Isaiah's eyes are open to the greater plan, to the larger picture to the mission of the Lord for his people and the world. The Lord brought Isaiah into the temple to reveal his supremacy over not just Judah and Jerusalem, but all nations, all of creation. The Lord prepared Isaiah so that he would be ready to do the work of the Lord. And here we see Isaiah surrender to the call of the Lord. I'm here. Not as if he were lost. I'm here, Lord. I'm willing I will go for you. I'd love to go for you. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Send me. Send me. I've seen the king. I know who is ultimately in control. Martin Luther's hymn, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. I'll endure anything because I've seen the king. The Lord changed the way Isaiah looked at life, at the current situation with the death of Uzziah. The mighty king has died. I imagine the people were thinking, what in the world are we going to do now? God has the prophet come into the temple and he says, oh, I've got a plan. (laughs) I've always had a plan. God changed the way Isaiah saw the condition of Judah, the world, and the future. And this leads to two points of application, and I'll be through. The first one is this. God wants you motivated by a God-focused perspective. God wants you motivated by a God-focused perspective. Isaiah's entire life is changed when he sees the Lord. First, God deals with his sin issue. Then he enlists him into the work of the kingdom and his plans for the kingdom. I submit to you this morning 
Every single day, your eyes, your ears, they are bombarded by influences, whether it be an image, whether it be words. Every single day, every person in this room, adult to child, to the youngest child, you are influenced by something that causes you to have a certain perspective on what life is about, how life is lived. Uh, my main concern today, one of the chief concerns is, is time is far spent when the church of Jesus Christ is to live as if our heads are in the sand. The scriptures say that the Lord reigns. That reality is to be seen in the lives of each and every human being in here who has a hope and a faith in Jesus. A new year has begun. A new year has indeed begun. And what will shape your perspective? Will it be your job, your schedule? I've lived up here now for five years. People are incredibly busy. In many ways, I think schedules are idols. What will your perspective be? What will shape it? Your job, your schedule, your family, your fears, your disappointments, your medical diagnosis, your unemployment, your heartaches, an unfaithful spouse, disobedient children, non-Christian parents, money, vacation, something that can take the place of God. That's the point. What is going to shape what you do? M ministry? <laughs> What will it be? Second word of application. God wants you rightly oriented by the right perspective. God wants you rightly oriented by the right perspective. Looking at Jesus, trusting Jesus, listening to Jesus as he reveals himself to us by the Spirit of God through sacred Scripture is the only way, rather it's the only thing, excuse me, that will rightly orient your life. I was a child, I used to hear my relatives say that, and I think, oh, what are they talking about? Well, I know what they're talking about. I know what calamity looks like in a family. I know what heartbreak looks like. And I know what it is to walk away from the Lord. I know what it is to seek my own way. I know what it is to experience God's discipline. And I know what it is to know God's awesome mighty grace and mercy. The word, my grandmother used to say to me when I first became a believer, she'd say, son, get you, get your Bible, get up early in the morning and read it and write down your, your thoughts. And she said, get into that word in the morning. I know what it is to do that and I know what it is to stop doing that. I know what it is for other influences to come in and take over and my perspective changes. Time is passing, you all. Time is passing. And we don't have the luxury of looking at the world as if God does not exist. Not as Christians, not as the church. We don't have that luxury. God reveals himself to us through his word, through his spirit. Jesus is the right perspective. He can focus your perspective so that you can walk 
faithfully and fearlessly through whatever this year may bring you. We got new officers in the church this morning, new elders, new deacons, new trustees, and you need a right perspective. You, let me say it this way, you have to have a right perspective. And that's not Terrence speaking. That's the word. You've been elected, you've been chosen to serve God by serving his people, which means you're going to have to do some things you don't want to do. But Jesus is to be the one seen through what you are doing. You need to gaze at the Lord Jesus as he reveals himself to Isaiah here, as he reveals his lordship. If your perspective, this goes for officer, member, whoever, Terrence, <laughs> if your perspective is guided by anything other than our Lord's word, then your serving will be in vain. God's word makes his people. And I want you to hear this right here. I wrote down, please, please, please remember this statement this year. God sets the agenda of life, not you. God sets the agenda of life. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. God sets the agenda for what life is all about. And that is what the world needs to see in us. You don't hear anything else I've said today, hear that. God aims for the world to see the king in you and me. Presbyterian Church of the Atonement exists this very day in the year 2018 to focus on Christ our Savior, our Lord, to know our triune God, and to obey God's perspective, which he gives us in the Bible, so that our perspective will be clear and sharp. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, O oh God, that you saw fit in history to work in a people, a people just as wayward as us, and yet you were merciful, gracious, you called prophets to speak the word to your people. God, you, you, you exiled your people on two occasions, and Yet, oh God, you still extended grace and mercy. You've given us a Savior. You've given us a King. God, I pray for the church of the atonement that we would be a people known that we serve Jesus, that we love Jesus, that all that we do is ordered by your word. God, be among us, we pray. We beg you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.